So as we continue on with our What If series, what if we played trivia in church? We're going to do that. Today we are going to have a little Super Bowl trivia to start off our message. By the way, I've got my football socks going today. I like that. That was one of the, you know, one of the socks that came my way on the 50th birthday. So that was kind of fun. So uh, we've got we got the big game coming later today, and here's a little bit of trivia for you just to kind of engage your brain a little bit, all right? And this is what we're going to do. There's a uh, answer one, two, three, and four. And so, you know, just to add a little bit of accountability here, we're going to actually raise our hands with the answers one, two, three, or four on all these, and we'll see who gets the most right. And the prize is you get a big hug from Sean at the end of the service. Yeah, oh, that's kind of sweet. They're actually excited about that, dear. I didn't, I didn't ask you first. Is that okay? Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Here's number one. Which of the following has never occurred in a Super Bowl? Uh, kickoff return for touchdown, a punt return for touchdown, a safety or a field goal of over 50 yards. One, two, three, or four. Let's see it, what it is. And the answer is a punt return for touchdown. Number two has never happened in the Super Bowl. All right. I like how you, know, you get it right, leave it up a little bit for everybody to see. That's nice. All right, here we go. Who sang the national anthem at Super Bowl one? Would that be the University of Arizona and Michigan bands, the Grambling University band, Tommy Loy or Billy Joel? Which of those would it be? And the answer is number one. Those two bands did. Yeah, this, by the way, was on the uh, NFL website, so I'm assuming it's all true. A couple of them I verified myself, this one being one of them, in its four Super Bowl appearances, so the Minnesota Vikings have been to four Super Bowls. What is the total number of points that they have scored in four Super Bowls? All right. Would that be 28, 34, 56, or 81? What's your answer on this one? And the answer would be 34. Yes. So there you go. Not many points, by the way, in four games. If you do the math on that, that's not just a whole lot. You're actually adding them up, aren't you? Jose's like, I know the score of every Minnesota game here, and I'm adding them up. That's not a lot. All right, here's, uh, here's the next one, next to the last one. Uh, Jake DeLome connected with Mushin Muhammad for the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history. How long was it? Was it 71, 77, 78, 85 yards? Which of those is the longest touchdown? And the answer is 85. There you go. All right. Several of you got that one right. And then here's the last one. The fewest rushing yards by any team in Super Bowl history is 7, 25, 39, or 43? What's your answer on that one? I'll look around and see if... That's a good answer. I didn't know... Oh, no, that's more than one. Okay, there's a, there's a one. You're like, what do I do? I'm changing. I'm going back and forth. The answer is 7 yards. Seven. I know, right? 7 yards... Uh, by the Patriots on 11 carries versus the Bears in Super Bowl 20. They only carried the ball 11 times. They got seven yards. So that's not a very good rushing attack, you might say, for a Super Bowl team. And anyway, here's, here's you know, it's kind of fun to, to play trivia type stuff. But this day, this event has completely taken over our culture, hasn't it? So much so that you, you'll recall a couple of years ago, there was a big petition out to make Super Bowl Monday a national holiday. I thought it was a joke at first, but it was real. Like they were seriously trying to get 
the government to pass something saying, making a national holiday. And I think the main reason is because so many people are hung over the next day and they don't go, I'm serious, they don't go to work. I'm like, oh, how sad is that, that we have to create or even talk about creating a national holiday. As many as one in 10 employees won't show up the day after the Super Bowl, supposedly costing $3 billion to companies. I would say that that's kind of a crazy uh, stranglehold that this event has on our culture. But uh, the, the, the other ways that you can see the influence of Super Bowl is in the commercials. Anybody look to see what a 30-second commercial is this year? $5.6 million for one 30-second commercial in the Super Bowl, which is just completely nuts. Um, there will be around 100 million people who will watch the Super Bowl today. Um, and there will be around, I think around 70,000 is how many can fit into the stadium there in Miami, which, by the way, those 70,000 people are paying an average of nearly $9,000 per ticket to go, which is just completely crazy to me. But of all that happening, the 100 million people watching, 70,000 in the stands, around 100 people will actually participate in the game. All those people watching, and only a select few who are the best of the best get to participate. Do you think that's the image that some people have about the kingdom of God? I mean, maybe that's a little bit extreme, right? But do you think there could be some correlation there toward people say, you know, I love to spectate, I love to cheer, I love to come along and, and just watch what God's doing and get excited about it, but don't expect me to get in the game because that's only for those elite athletes, that's only for those elite Christians, the best of the best, only a very few are able to actually get in and be a part of the game. And today I want to encourage us by letting Scripture remind us that every single one of us needs to get in the game. You know, this is, this is not a spectator sport when it comes to kingdom work. This is something that all of us are to participate in. We all have our role. We all have a place that, that, that we can contribute. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about that today. And uh, open your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. And really, 1 Peter 4.10, if you know that verse, is kind of a foundational verse. But I want to spend a lot of time leading up to that. And here's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. Today, I want to just kind of lay the foundation of why this is important and, and, uh, and what Scripture says about each one of us using our gifts and finding our place to serve in, uh, to, to plug in and serve. But then over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of spend a little bit more time unpacking what exactly does that look like. You know, what are some different areas that, uh, what are the different spiritual gifts? Um, what do we need to know in order to utilize them, those kinds of things. And so we'll, we'll be able to kind of do a big, big picture view today and then get into digging into the weeds a lot more in the weeks to come through the rest of the month of February. All right, let's start 1 Peter 4 and verse 1 says, Therefore Christ suffered in his body, since, I'm sorry, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For <clears throat> this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So there's that verse that reminds us of the importance of using our, our gifts. But I think the things leading up to that, the verses preceding verse 10, are really, really important too because they lay the foundation for why we should take that step. You know, what is it that should motivate us to want to do that? And it starts by, in verse 1, saying, Since Christ suffered in His body to arm ourselves, it says, with the same attitude or the same mind, the same way of thinking, um, that, that it all goes back to Jesus and who He was. Jesus was all in, right? We've been talking about being all in a lot lately. Jesus was absolutely all in. And He came for a very specific purpose, to give up His life for us to become our sacrifice for sins. And nothing, including you know, being mocked and beaten and spat upon and having a crown of thorns pressed on his head and being nailed to a cross, none of that deterred him from the mission which was to come and, and to become our Savior, to become our sacrifice for sins. I mean, he was 100% all in. And so the Bible is saying that because Jesus had that type of attitude or that type of mindset, then we should also have that same type of mindset. And it all begins with him and who he is and understanding that and letting that uh, flow over to us. And then it says there in verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, then that should motivate us to live for God as well. So here's the point. The first main point for today is that we should live for God and not our own desires. That's, that's what scripture is saying. Why would we be motivated to, to use our gifts, to serve, to sacrifice, to, to, to you know, put others ahead of ourselves. We're motivated to do that because we live for God and not our own desires. And all of that goes back to uh, understanding who Jesus is and what he did. But, but stop and think about that phrase for a moment there. Live not for evil human desires, but for the will of God. That's a powerful statement. And, you know, I think all of us would like to say, yeah, I don't live for my own desires, but for the will of God. But, but can we really say that? You know, and probably the answer is probably sometimes more than others, right? At times we are probably more capable of saying that than we are at other times. But that's a really significant question. Am I really living more for the will of God than I am for what I want for myself? And that's really at the heart of um, getting to a point of, of truly living a selfless life. Now, one way that we can judge that is by evaluating what it says in verse 3 when it talks about, by the way, anybody relate to that? You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, and then it goes on and lists all these variety of sins. Some may go, yep, I can relate to that. I've been there. That has been part of my life in the past. But the question that we can ask to evaluate is, do these things describe me now, or am I different? Because as believers, our lives should be different, obviously, right? I mean, that's kind of one of those simple statements, but it's so true. When we compare uh, our lives to those around us that aren't following God, there should be a difference. And the things that maybe used to be attractive and maybe the things that used to dominate our lives shouldn't dominate our lives anymore if we are living for the will of God. As it says in Galatians 2.20, It talks about how Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
who loved me, gave himself up for me. Um, I've been crucified with Christ. That's what it says here because, because it, it says that he who suffers in his body is done with sin. Now, wouldn't it be nice if when we came to faith in Christ and we said, I've been crucified with Christ, if that was a one and done kind of thing. It's like, you know, I suffered uh, in my body for sin and it's over with. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. In 1 Peter 2.11, it reminds us, uh, talks about the desires that we have, the sinful desires, it says, which war against your soul. So they're constantly there fighting. And uh, it's difficult for us to live uh, 100% for God and not for our own desires for two reasons. One is that the sinful nature wars against our soul. And so we are constantly fighting that battle against the sinful nature that keeps trying to get a foothold in our lives again. But there's another reason, too, and it's in verse 4. When it's talking about how everybody else lives, and then verse 4 says, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. When you look at what is considered to be normal by others around us, sometimes, I mean, even though we know we're supposed to be different, I, I kind of think of it this way. Let's say that you are have decided to... Uh, put aside some old unhealthy eating habits and you've decided I'm just going to I'm going to eat healthy I'm going to not go down that same path and uh, and and yet you are surrounded by people that are eating your favorite donut and telling you how good that donut is with every single bite they take that's going to be a little bit more difficult to resist the temptation right because you're surrounded by people telling you how good it is. And guys, we live in a culture where we are surrounded by people that they want to convince us how tasty sin is. We see it in commercials where we, we hear it in the stories. We see it in the lifestyles. All those things are around us. And it's this constant message of, oh man, this is so good. And you, know, you want some of this. And, and yet... The reality is, no, as followers of Christ, really that's not our direction, but it makes it difficult because, as it says here, you know, they'll keep abuse on you or give you a hard time because you're not going down that same path. Um, It's encouraging to me when I see uh, people begin to grasp this reality from a very young age. And I always love our kids here, by the way. I love having y'all here and our, our young people that come, especially you get up at 8 o'clock. That's awesome. And be here. That's fantastic. Um, you know, even from a very early age, even, you know, elementary school and stuff like that, you'll see that pressure. And to, you know, to, to kind of resist that can be difficult, but you can do that. And, and this weekend, as a lot of you know, we're coming off of our Disciple Now weekend and our students got together. And the theme uh, for the weekend, they talked about redefined and the idea is this, that if you're a follower of Christ, that redefines everything about who you are. It redefines your worldview, about how you live. And, you know, that's exactly really what we're talking about here, too. That fits in so well, because if we can really begin to redefine the way that we think about who we are and about what God has called us to, uh, then that lays the foundation for us to be able to kind of begin going a different direction. And then verse 7, by the way, if we... Get off course, verse 7 is a good course corrector. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober and of sober mind so that you can pray. Uh, that reminder that the end of all things is near and that, you know, sooner or later we will stand before God and we will have to give an account before God, that is a good course corrector sometimes if we start getting off the path to remember, okay, 
um, you know, this life isn't going to continue on forever, and so I need to, to allow that to kind of redirect me in the right way. So it begins by just this understanding of who God is and what Christ has done. <clears throat> and our love for God really is what motivates us to want to be in a place to do what we're talking about today. But then a second thing that happens there is we experience the love of God, but then verse 8 also says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Um, yes, we, we, we love God and experience that relationship with Him, but also our love for others also motivates us to serve. It's, it's our love for God and our desire to honor God, uh, but the second thing is our love for others also motivates our service. It says in verse 8 that above all else we are to love each other deeply. I like that word there, that extra little description there, love each other deeply, which is saying to me that it's going way beyond just kind of a surface level or an obligation of what we think we're supposed to do. But when you love deeply, you are willing to go to great lengths to express that love, right? Think about your kids. Think about maybe your grandkids, even maybe more so. Some are like, yeah, I totally get all of those things. But think about the lengths to which you are willing to go in order to love your kids and your grandkids. And think about how different that is from what you would do for some random kid. I mean, I think all of us would love to be able to say, hey, I would give just as much of myself for some random kid that I don't know. Reality is, no, you wouldn't. We give way more to, to those that we love deeply, right, and have that relationship with. Uh, great example of that, I, I texted Jose here this week, and I said, do I hear this story right? Because I want to pass this on. I thought this is a great example. His daughter plays softball uh, in El Paso, which is what, about 650 miles from here. She had a playoff game on a Thursday night, and so Jose drives there for the playoff game to see his daughter's game and then turns around at the end of the game and drives back through the night and is at work late the next morning on Friday morning. And I'm like, that's, that's some, some crazy expression of love right there, right? You don't do that for just some random person. You do that for somebody that you have a deep relationship with. Uh, it's way more than just obligation. And so as we love each other deeply, then that begins to motivate us more to be willing to serve each other well because the, the, the depth of the relationship is there. And, of course, it all begins, as we said a moment ago, it all begins with loving God. But once we experience God's love, then we can pass that on to others and, and, and we can, can love other people well also. Uh, but it does begin in our relationship with God. And so a simple question that I think we need to ask ourselves is what are we doing to uh, facilitate a deeper love in our own relationship with God? How can we, that's, that's the beginning point. How can I love God more deeply? And what does that look like for you? Um, you know, one of the things that, that, that I'm trying to do is to kind of break free of the normal, the same, you know, types of routines. And, and routines can be good. Um, but, but I'm just looking at that, you know, starting and then you say, okay, what could be a little different? Maybe to freshen things up a little bit, you know, just to change things up a little bit uh, in my own relationship with God to help me to, to love God more deeply. So what does that look like? That's the foundation. Uh, but then out of that, we begin to love each other deeply. And I, I love what it says here, too, in verse 8. When it's talking about loving deeply, it says, because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, when we really love somebody deeply, 
we're willing to look past their sins and continue to serve them. We're, we're willing to continue to, to do what we should do in spite of the fact that we may have been offended in some way. And uh, I'll give you a, a little example that I'll tell on myself here for just a minute. Um, this week we, uh, we had some work done at the house and uh, so there was a lot of chaos and a lot of disarray. And at one point we were talking about something. Sean was trying to explain something to me and I just found myself getting so frustrated because I didn't really understand what she was saying and she just I felt like kind of said, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm beginning to raise my voice and get very frustrated. And she was so good and just kind of remained so calm the whole time. And, and after a little bit, I realized, okay, I'm just acting like a jerk here and I need to stop. Love covered over a multitude of sins. So that's what happens, right? When we just continue to, to love people well, it's amazing what it can do to kind of cover things over. And, and when it comes to areas of service, see, a lot of times our attitude is, I'm only going to serve you if you serve me. If you give me what I want, then I might in return give you what you want. But love covering over a multitude of sins is saying, look, I'm going to serve you well no matter what because I'm going to love you deeply. And again, what's the motivation for that? The motivation is God loves me deeply and I'm arming myself with the same mindset as Christ had, right? Jesus didn't just love because of what he got back or if people deserved it, thankfully. Jesus loves us, period. And so we are to do the same thing. So, so that was a great reminder to me of how when we do love deeply, it really does cover over uh, a, a lot of our mess. And, uh, and it's just so much more than an obligation. You know, when it comes to serving, you ever struggle with some of the, 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 the mindset that I do sometimes is, these are things that I have to do, that I'm obligated to do, right? I need to do this. I feel some obligation to this. Um, there's not nearly as much joy in doing something out of obligation as there is in doing something because you're motivated by love. Love for God and love for people. And not only that, but other people, I think, benefit from that too, right? Because if I'm serving with kind of this bad attitude of, well, I'm going to do this because I'm supposed to, and you know, I don't think others are going to be blessed by that nearly as much as if I'm serving with an attitude of, you know, I love you, I, I, this is a way for me to express my love for God, this is an expression of my worship, and my attitude is in the right place. makes a big difference. So uh, all of that kind of ties into the, the why. Now, let's just spend just a moment, and as I said, we'll unpack this more in the weeks to come because I think we need to spend a little bit more time on this topic. But uh, what does that lead us to do? Verse 10. All that leads to this, and that is that each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Another way of saying that is this. It's time to get in the game. Back to the original illustration. The church doesn't work like the Super Bowl, guys. This isn't a deal where 100 people do the work and 100 million watch. This is a deal where the 100 million all have their role. And everybody gets involved and everybody utilizes the gifts that they have. That's what it tells us to do here. And, and this what if question for today is this. What if I served in my area of giftedness? And you stop and think about that. What would happen in my life if I took 1 Peter 4.10 seriously and began to use my gifts and began to serve with, with joy and with love and all the things that we've been talking about. But, but if I served in my area of giftedness, what, what might happen? And how might that impact me to begin with, um, but, but also impact others around me? Let me go back to something that I think I've said every single week 
as we started this series, and you can help me finish it. It's not about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. The same thing is true when it comes to service. It feels like to say that, I'm, that I need to serve is, is something being required of me. It feels in some cases like a burden being placed on my shoulders. That's really not the case. What it is is an opportunity for us to utilize our giftedness. And I'm going to tell you, when we really begin to do that and we're really serving in our area of giftedness, there's a sense of fulfillment, there's a sense of freedom, there's a sense of joy that comes from that. And, you know, that's been one of the things that has just really been um, weighing on me, or, or not, I don't know if weighing on is the right, right word, that's been motivating me moving into a new year is this idea of what if we really were able to get every single member of the Gateway family serving in their area of giftedness? And that's exciting to think about. What if everybody found their place and whatever that looks like? And, then, and then, by the way, it may not even be serving within these walls here. It may be serving some, doing something in your neighborhood or your workplace. Or, but what if everybody just was able to, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm gifted to do. You know, there are a few things that I think would happen as I was just thinking about that question. What if? What might happen? One, I, I would feel fulfilled. Because I believe there's something within each one of us that realizes that life is about more than just us, that realizes that we have a desire to contribute in some way. We have a desire to know that my life has a greater purpose than just being about me. And if I'm able to serve kingdom purposes and I'm able to to serve others well and maybe help others come to know Christ or I'm able to help others grow in their faith or you know, have a lasting spiritual impact, there's a lot of deep fulfillment and purpose that comes from that. Uh, another thing that I believe would happen is that we would connect with others more deeply. If I'm really serving, because the way, at least the way we design it around here, and I think this is based on Scripture, where Jesus would send people out and He would send them out two by two, never individually. Now, we don't believe in Lone Ranger types of ministries. If you're going to do ministry, that means surrounding yourself with other people so that you can lock arms and do ministry together. One of the things that happens is you begin to develop some deep relationships with people as you're serving side by side with them. And as you're moving together in something, it, it helps you connect at a deeper level. And, you know, by the way, that, that kind of works both ways. Um, as you connect deeper, you want to serve more. But as you serve more, you also connect deeper, and so it kind of, you know, it kind of is this circle that keeps on, keeps on going. Um, so we would, we would develop, I believe, some deeper relationships. Another thing that could happen in our own lives is to grow in our own faith. I mean, it, it causes us to, um, to, to exercise some spiritual muscles when we serve. In some cases, it causes us to take steps of faith that we may not be comfortable with. Because a lot of times God pushes us outside of our comfort zone. It's like, okay, I'm really going to have to depend on God here. But I mean, think about it in terms of, of exercise, physical exercise. The more you do something, the stronger your muscles get, right? And your body begins to get used to that and to crave that and to desire that and to get stronger as a result of that. And as we are using our spiritual muscles through service, it does strengthen us in our faith. And so there's a lot of personal benefit that comes from us serving in our area of giftedness. But then as we prepare to wrap things up, I just want us for a minute to ask the question too, corporately, what might happen if every single person were serving in their area of giftedness? And again, this is where it gets doubly exciting. First of all, I get excited thinking about what God will do in your life individually. 
and just that, that freshness and that boost to your uh, own faith and relationship with God as you're finding your area of service. But then I also look at that corporately and I think, man, what could happen to the, the body here and in our community and all around our, our, our world, literally, if everybody were doing this? Um, that's exciting to think about. Thinking about that in a church setting where every single person is serving in their area of giftedness. I'll tell you one thing that it does is it allows you to continue to grow ministry. Because as ministry grows, I mean, this is just a practical side to it. As ministry grows, the numbers of people needed to carry out ministry grows, right? I mean, it takes more people to minister to, you know, seven, eight hundred people than it does to minister to four or five hundred people. That's just kind of basic math. And as our church is growing, and some of you have heard me say this before, we last year in 2019, we grew on average over 100 people a Sunday. That's a lot of new people. And that's a lot of folks to, to be ministered to, and it's exciting. And that has continued even into this year at, that, at a similar type of a rate. And so we look at that and think, man, this is great. It's exciting that we're growing. It's exciting that we're reaching new people. Part of what needs to take place is we got to have people serving in their area of giftedness. But, but that continued... Uh, growth, you know, uh, spiritual growth, physical growth, all those things, those are all exciting things. So let me remind you, verse 10, and we'll, we'll kind of close with this. In verse 10, it says, each of you should use whatever gift he has received. You know what that means? That means every single person, child, teenager, adult, senior adult, that doesn't matter. Each one of you should serve in your area of giftedness. And everybody has something to contribute. Every person does. Doesn't matter your age, matter your background, your gender, your race, whatever. Everybody has something to contribute. And so um, as we do that, it says that we are actually being faithful stewards of God's grace. That when we are using our gifts for kingdom purposes, we're allowing God to work through us. God to extend his grace through us. I mean, that's, that's cool stuff. That's exciting to think that God wants to do that through us. So I say, let's do it. What do you say? Let's find our place and serve. Let's do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much today that you um, have chosen to work through us. And Lord, that you have uh, designed things to where you extend your grace through us using the gifts that you have given us. So today, Lord, we just say thank you for that. We're humbled by it. Uh, Lord, we know that it's not about us. We know that it's all about you in us. But I pray, Lord, that we make much of, uh, of, of you working through us and we allow the Holy Spirit to really uh, take over and to, to do what you want to do through us. So Lord, just begin that process of showing us what that looks like. And Lord, for those that are serving in the area of giftedness, that you would just bring greater encouragement for those that aren't, that you would open some avenues and, uh, and just in the weeks to come, Lord, make it clear what that looks like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.